Welcome to Figuring Out Families by Magellan Media, where we help make families the best they can be. We're starting a new series of podcasts we're calling The Parenting Sessions. The series will focus on parenting and raising children and provide practical, real-world advice. I hope you enjoy. I'm David Ahern. Welcome back to The Parenting Sessions. Today we're talking with Robin Mills, who's a founding member of Win-Win Parenting, along with Rosina McAlpine. Robin has worked in the health area for 47 years, working in psychiatric units, emergency departments, in private practice, and teaching at universities across several disciplines, including psychology, nursing, and natural medicine. Bit of a mouthful, and you've certainly got a history there. Hello and welcome, Robin. Thank you, David, for that really warm welcome. Yes, I, I am old. I have worked for a long time across a lot of disciplines. Yep, I wasn't insinuating that you were older, but you certainly <laughs> have worked across a lot of dis- disciplines. So that's uh, quite a resume. Now, today we're talking about bullying. Um, obviously, this is one of those issues that's uh, always around, has been around for a long, long time. It still seems to be a big problem. Is that the case or is society just more aware of this issue, do you think? Oh, David, it's certainly getting um, worse over time. You know, with the introduction of technology, you can't get away from being bullied. So once when we were children, you would be bullied at school and you would, once you left the school playground and you got home to your family, you were able to feel safe. But now, 24 hours a day, you have social media. So that bullying can continue in the night, throughout the night, so 24 hours a day. So it actually has got worse and it's way more difficult to step away from. Right. And uh, bullying, as we know, can take many forms. Uh, Perhaps you could explain some of them. So often we think about children in the playground perhaps fighting, physically hurting each other and bullying certainly is easy to see when it's that open. But there's also the leaving people out, restraining them emotionally. So um, I I have a really good example of that is that once when I worked in a hospital, um, they would make sure that I went to dinner um, when all the restaurants were closed, the cafeteria, and I wasn't able to eat. Everyone else would go to tea first and I would go to tea alone after everyone else. Or I would get to work and they would have rubbed my name out of the availability book. So crazy things that you wouldn't expect um, nursing people to do. But these things, when they add up, are such forms of, in nursing it's called horizontal violence, whereas in children it's called bullying or in other forms it's called bullying. But these um, are ways that you wouldn't actually expect. So even ignoring people excluding them from a group, perhaps spreading a rumour about someone that has absolutely no basis, not that you should talk about people anyway, but David, that um, spreading a rumour about people, rude phone calls, those sorts of things. Yeah, no, it's it's, it's sad, isn't it? It's a, a lot of people think of bullying of when, when children are young and they're at school, but of course it can continue well into your adult life, as uh, you just explained. Absolutely, it can continue and sometimes it can get a lot worse in adulthood. You would think that an adult would have the skills to try to defend it. But what happens, I like to talk about the bucket. You know, there's a song, um, there's a hole in my bucket, Deliza. 
Yes. And, and, you know, if you think about that bucket as being full and someone being really vibrant in the world and then um, each time that they're bullied or belittled or something happens to them, they get a hole in the bucket. And then no matter how much love and strength they try to pour into that bucket, it just seems to flow out. And then in the end, someone will do something really small to them and they'll overreact and it'll become this huge, huge issue that doesn't seem to have any basis. And it's the adding up of all those little times that they were bullied from childhood to adulthood. And I guess that's where we can make a difference, David. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I was bullied too when I was nine. There were three of us. We were all close friends. And, uh, you know, every day one person would say to the other person, uh, let's run away from uh, David or let's run away from Peter. I mean, it was just silly juvenile stuff. But, uh, you know, it, it still remained with me all these years later. It's certainly hurtful, isn't it? Because especially, I think, um, David, as children, our hearts are open. We've been taught to be open and loving and caring. And I think um, the wounds get in more easily. And especially if we're surrounded by a family who's loving and we're not used to being excluded and treated poorly like that, it's such an affront to our being, isn't it? Well, it is. It's unnecessary. I mean, I guess when you're really, really young and you're still learning, you can forgive children uh, if they are uh, bullying others. But as long as they're uh, educated properly and they outgrow that, um, that's fine. But yeah, when you're adults and you're still coming across it, it's uh, it's a bit hard to understand sometimes. It certainly is hard to understand. And I think you touched on something that I think is really important, which is can the um, person who's been identified as a bully outgrow it and change those things? Because often we don't know who the victim or who the bully is and we might support the victim and really help that victim, but unless the person that was the bully is taught whatever it is they're missing in their relationships with other people, then they're going to just get stronger in their poor behaviours over time. So we can't just focus on the person that's being hurt we have to focus on both of them. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good point. Now, you, you have touched on this, Robin, but uh, it certainly needs more explanation. I think uh, we would all agree that new technologies have made the world in many respects a better place and things more accessible, but they've also uh, made issues like bullying, I think, worse. Uh, perhaps you could expand upon that a bit more. I, cer I certainly could, and weirdly, while I was waiting to come on today, I noticed... Um, on a current affair program that four in 10 teenagers have negative experiences online and even three in 10 have unwanted contact by strangers. So our children are out there really vulnerable in this world of technology. And it is really, I talked about before, that ability to get away. We all know that too much technology is not good for our children, but especially through this year of COVID, they, you know, this is the only way that they could talk to their friends. And I think a lot of parents let their guard down because they're learning online and the only way they can be with their friends is online. So those old boundaries that they had about how many hours on um, technology certainly got expanded during COVID because everyone was afraid that their children were going to lose their friends, lose their self-confidence, lose their self-esteem. But what happened was over that COVID year, bullying got worse because right. when you're behind a screen, David, it's um, it's like you're a bit more anonymous now. 
we all know from recent current affair programs that um, technology is going after people who are bullies and people are going to be accountable. But up until now, you could say something and because you're not face-to-face to that person, you've been less accountable. Would you agree with that, David? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's a good point. And unfortunately, people who are uh, prone to cowardly bullying behaviour, they've found a, another avenue of attack through um you know, computers and, uh, you know, iPhones and so forth. Yes, and it's giving us a distorted view about how we look. And, you know, if you don't have a particular look about you and you don't wear a particular makeup or your hair's not in a certain way, you can be judged even more online. So it's actually because it's such a visual um, means for beauty that beauty's become... um, a place where bullying can really take place. So it's more about what you look like than what your heart is saying or what your voice mm. is saying or who you are in the world. So um, we have to be on top of all this, how technology is changing our young people's view of themselves and view of other people. Yeah, no, absolutely right. And, Robin, I mean, bullying's not gender-specific, is it? Girls can bully just as much as boys. Well, uh, I think that what you'll find is that girls are bullying more than boys. Um, When you're talking about emotional bullying, um, physical bullying is more likely to be the boys. Well, girls are certainly getting on that bandwagon now as well. But in emotional bullying, it is more likely to happen between girls than it is to happen between boys. Okay. Yeah, that's an interesting point. Now, Now, bullying can start when children are young, as we've discussed, and usually does. How can parents build a relationship with their children so they know their kids are safe at school? I love talking about this because you can actually start when the children first learn to talk. You can start preventing them being a bully and start allowing them to get feedback and to talk to you about what happens. A really simple example is if you've got a three-year-old and they've just dropped a glass on the floor. You might want to go, oh, look what you've done. Oh, now quick step back, you're going to get cut, you know, and go be really stressed, right? I can hear my voice easily, easily. Yeah. But these are the points where you can actually have this relationship with your children that's going to last a lifetime, which is, oh, are you okay? Did you hurt yourself? It's all right. Accidents happen. What happened? Oh, let's fix it. So right from the get-go, you're beginning to build a relationship where you're not blaming the child in a negative way when they make mistakes or when something bad happens. And this allows children to come to you and say, what happened? And then that is going to be the underlying principle that you'll need when they become teenagers, that they can actually come and say, I did this or this happened or, you know, I didn't actually go to school, I did this instead. And you can sit down and have a conversation with them rather than them being too afraid to come and speak to you. And certainly as a young person, I was way too afraid to go and speak to my parents. I presumed that I would always be in trouble and to blame. Right. That certainly put me in a lot of vulnerable positions in my life that I had to find a way of healing. So I, it starts that little, that little. Yeah. Yeah, it's at the foundation, isn't it? You're building the blocks for um, uh, a young person or the way they think, the way they react, all that sort of stuff. It's so important, isn't it? Yes. And uh, 
teaching them how to say they're sorry and how to address it. Like, you know, an example would be my three-year-old granddaughter. She's only just three, so she's a, a little toddler. But we were going out for coffee the other day and she just looked up at me. Like, this is a ball of love, this child normally. And she goes, I don't want you to come. Oh. And, I, you know, of course, I could be going, well, that's not very nice. You shouldn't speak to your grandmother like that. No. You know, blah, blah, blah. But I went, oh, Emily, I really love going out with you and having coffee. It's one of the highlights of my day. It makes my heart happy. Anyway, yeah. I didn't address any more of it then. And then when we were at coffee, I said to her, if mummy and Grammy wanted to have coffee and we didn't want you to come, how would you feel? And she goes, I'd feel sad and her little eyes welled up, which is good because she was learning empathy. Yeah? Absolutely. And, Very and important, that word, empathy. Empathy. And so um, she, without any prompting, she said, I won't do it tomorrow. <laughs> and she didn't she didn't say it again so it was I didn't shame her because she's learning to relate she's learning to speak to the world so if if I was to shame her and up until now she's been a shy child she'd think oh when I say things I get into trouble so then she would have withdrawn into a shell would have been an argument you know it's about oh I love Rosina to when she talks about empathy and education she was missing something. She was missing the knowledge of knowing how to relate to people in the world. Now, she probably wanted to have coffee with her and her mum and alone, you know, have some mum time. Who knows what was going on in her three-year-old brain? Of but course. she didn't actually know um, socially acceptable ways of going about that. So it's then you can build these relationships from these tiny children you know, I've made a lot of mistakes in bringing up my older grandchildren as a grandmother, you know. Um, yeah. But I all, if I think about it later, and I'm a great person for going back and going over things that I've said or done, and I'll go back to them later and go, you know, when I looked after you last week and I said blah, 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 I've been thinking about that and I think I made a mistake. So firstly I'd like to say I'm sorry that I actually said that because I don't think it was right. And then I'd like to tell you that this is what I meant to say. You know, those kids always give me a hug and going, it's okay. But what I'm teaching them is it's okay to go back to an issue and readdress it if you don't think you handled it properly. Yeah, very good point. I mean, empathy and saying sorry, two of the most important things um, as children and as adults. So if you're teaching them from a very young age, it's certainly the right way to go. I love it. It gives me joy. You know, when um, I see that light bulb moment go on for them and I know they've got something that I never got at their age, it, it just makes my heart sing. Yeah, because we want to make yeah. people, sorry, David, we want to make people in the world who are going to fill humanity's heart, not take from it, to make a better world. This is where we have to start. Do you agree? Oh, absolutely. And look, my experience was probably a bit different to yours, but my parents were great like that because uh, we were taught about saying sorry if we were wrong from an early age. And we always felt comfortable. I was one of six children, but I think we all felt comfortable going to mum or dad with any issues or whatever. And as I said earlier, when I was being bullied when I was nine or 10, I went to mum and she gave me some great advice. So we were lucky to have that sort of relationship with, with our parents. That's fantastic. Can you remember the advice? Uh, <laughs> I can't actually. I'm sure it's in the, deep in my brain somewhere, but uh, 
It's about 50 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> but it changed you. It gave yeah. you a skill in life that you needed. It did. And I mean, I knew, uh, obviously, from an early age that bullying was unacceptable. I knew it was wrong and you shouldn't do it. And I've, I've never, ever bullied anyone. Uh, well, not that I'm aware of anyway, and perhaps my younger brother in the early days. But generally speaking, um, bullying is just totally unacceptable behaviour. Oh, absolutely. And I think you just highlighted another point, which is um, when you do it with siblings, when you're fighting with your brother or your sister as you're growing up, these are wonderful opportunities for your parents to teach you how to relate in the world. But most parents were so busy. I was certainly one of those really busy mothers. You can see from my credentials, I was always running around doing something. And so when my children were fighting, I was half present to them and half present to the thesis I was writing or something that I was preparing. And so it was more like, can you just be quiet while I'm working? I've got to get this finished. And so you weren't actually, I, not you, weren't present to whatever was going on between them and what skill they were missing in life. So they didn't actually have to physically or um, verbally abuse each other. So being present to your own children and not thinking that children just fight because they fight. They fight because they want something and they don't know how else to get it. Would you agree? Oh, absolutely. And especially when you're really young and you're still trying to work out the best way to approach things. You, you, sometimes you hit out, you, you, you verbal, say terrible things to your siblings. I mean, you know, I, I mean, I have regrets, but the thing is when you're a child, you're a child. And the point is you, you need to learn so that you're not that behaviour doesn't carry through for the rest of your life. Exactly. That's exactly right. And the person that can make that different or the people that can make that difference, of course, are the people who are hearing it, which is usually your parents. So this is a perfect opportunity for learning. And it's important then that the parents have learned their own strategies and knowledge to be able to deal with that. And if they can't, then to speak to someone about how am I going to um, stop my children from fighting with each other because if we're going to have a peaceful world, it starts at home, doesn't it? Well, it certainly does. And in light of what we've just been talking about, Robin, uh, some children who are being bullied will hide their trauma, unfortunately, from their parents. Are there um, subtle signs for parents to look out for in case their children are being bullied? Oh, Certainly there are. And firstly, you might um, notice that their personality might have changed suddenly. You know, they might be more withdrawn, not wanting to socialise. Perhaps they don't want to go to school and they won't give you any reason for not going. They don't feel well today. They've got a pain in the tummy. They've got a headache. Um, But it's becoming regular in that you really notice they just don't want to go to school. So that that is mostly what you would find. But loss of motivation, um, emotional outbursts and certainly poor sleep and nightmares. Um, because often what's happened during the day will replay itself when you're sleeping as your brain's trying to process what's going on and that will show itself in sleepwalking, nightmares um, or just inability to go to sleep because you're procrastinating, not procrastinating, you're going over and over what happened during the day and therefore not able to shut down that adrenaline response. So those signs might be subtle or they might be really obvious but when you notice a change in your child, you're looking to see what's going on. Okay, is it possible to some children they become 
more aggressive uh, with their siblings and uh, that sort of behaviour? Oh, acting out, definitely acting out towards other people. Um, because children are mirrors as well. If something's being done to them or if their parents are fighting, they're certainly likely to either totally withdraw or just mirror that behaviour. Mirror neurons are one of the things that develop in childhood, so that ability to copy whatever is happening to them in their world. Okay, fair enough. And, uh, Robin, how do people know who is the bully and who is the victim? Do you know it can be really hard to tell sometimes because sometimes if the bully has done something and they know they're going to get into trouble for it, they can run to the teacher or the authorities first and go, this person did this to me. So they look like the bully and the victim looks like, um, sorry, they look like the victim and the victim looks like the bully. So it's really important to actually try to really get to the bottom of what was happening and to treat both of the people as though they need support. Okay, no, fair enough. And uh, repeated bullying as a child, I mean, this might be an obvious one, but it can lead to problems for individuals later in life, I suspect. Well, it certainly can, and especially sleep disturbances and anxiety. Perhaps, David, the inability to function properly in a team. You might be want to become oversensitive, paranoid, mistrusting of people, and so in a team... When someone says something, you might be prickly, you might react, and then people will go, oh, she's a bit prickly, and then other people will go, yeah, she's really prickly, and then before you know it, it feels like you've repeated whatever happened to you as a child because people have pigeonholed you because of your behaviour. So it's that, you know, you really have to peel those layers off you like an onion and get to the core um, strategies that you need to learn to leave those behaviours of the bullying behind. And, of course, I believe in love. So the more love you pour in there, the more um, you, you're able to heal that wounded heart. And if you've got really good supervisors in your workplace, <clears throat> I think that's one of the things that is a little bit lacking, someone who can actually see what's going on and talk to the person and say, now, it feels like something's going on for you. Can you talk to me about it? So that then those issues that you had in childhood can finally be addressed in adulthood because you've got a good supervisor. So it can follow you in relationships um, outside of work and throughout work. So it can actually change, unless you address it, it, it will change who you have the potential to be in the world, which is peaceful, loving, motivating, someone who holds people in high regard and high esteem rather than being on alert and watching to see if someone's out to get you. That's the risk that happens to someone that's been bullied over a long period of time. Sure. And like most things in life, it gets back to communication. You mentioned going to someone for advice or uh you know, to try and resolve the situation. But, you know, some people just aren't good communicators, let's be honest. Well, that's true. That's true. And I get that's the other thing that we, we can teach as, as young children, isn't it? Teaching people to say what they're feeling and know yes. what they're feeling. And, you know, um, with my three-year-old granddaughter, we play, you know, that game, show me sad face, happy face, angry face. Yeah. So that, you know, when they're switching from one to another, they can identify what it is that they're feeling. So um, that can be built on. That's just that first building block that can be built on. Oh, wow, you're really frustrated. What, what What is it that you're feeling so angry about? 
allowing people to have that ability to tap into what's going on for them rather than I really wanted that and he took it away from me. You know, what was going on? Yeah. 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 It is important to be able to uh, communicate your feelings. A lot of people don't do it well, and I can't say I've always been perfect at it myself, but if you can do it well, I think you've got a head start. And, David, I think one of the things that's changing is that we're encouraging the boys, the men in our lives, to express themselves emotionally better than they ever have, whereas in my generation it wasn't acceptable. You know, you weren't a man if you were talking about feeling sad or emotional or irritated by something. Yep, so, now, so true. Isn't it good now that we're, we're saying to boys we're treating them the same as we treat girls in that way? that all children deserve to be heard and all children deserve to have a voice. Absolutely, absolutely. And my 28-year-old son, he, he look, he amazes me how well he communicates. I mean, I wish I was as good at it when I was his age uh, all those years ago. But uh, the, the, the new generation or the young ones coming up, I think they are much better at it and yeah, society will only be better for it. I love that. You know, like we talk about technology and how it's changing the world and how in some ways it's not good for us. But in other ways, we're seeing the development of things like boys not expressing their emotions. Boys now on on the internet talking to each other, you know, they're building skills that perhaps they may not have had the opportunity before. Perhaps a lot of their relationships were on the football field or, you know, doing something physical, whereas online they're actually talking about what's happening. Don't you think that is an improvement of technology? Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. That certainly helps. Now, Robin, if people are being bullied, where do they go? What can they do for help? So certainly, um, you know, there are counsellors at school. I, I always think family first. You know, you, you've already built those strengths in your family to help you develop um, strategies for problems and that going home and talking about what's happening should be first. School counsellors second. And Rosina has a resource um, which is um, personal power life skills home activity book. So um, go to drrosina.com and have a look at that because that has... 12 life skill activities to um, help children be resilient and better manage their emotions and to bully-proof people. So home, school, um, certainly not getting your support from your peer group because your peer group, they're already struggling to develop themselves and they don't have that life experience that parents have, counsellors, teachers, those other people have. And often you know, if you go to the teacher, sometimes they're so under stress themselves that whatever's happening to you doesn't seem as important, whereas okay. for the child it can be overwhelming. So you need to have a teacher who's really on the ball, really present, really wants to make that difference and listen. So you've got um, home, counsellor, teacher, and then having these resources available not at just at the point of crisis. I love what Rosina says when um, the penny dropped for me, if you can imagine a child crossing the road and they've run out, that little child, and they've run out in front of a car and you've saved them and you're screaming at them, you shouldn't run out in front of a car, I told you you have to look both ways. You're going off your tree at them. At that point when they have nearly been run over by a car, they're not in a place where they can learn 
because adrenaline shifts the blood flow to other parts of your body so you can save yourself. So they can't process new information at that point. And it's a bit like that when people are being bullied. When they're in the middle of that um, physical altercation or that argument, you have to wait for it to settle and then and then be able to go in and say, now let's process this. Let's have a look at see what happened. But sometimes in that moment, they're so afraid for themselves, be it emotionally or physically, that they're not able to process the new information you're trying to give them. Oh, well, that's, that's fair enough and that's, that's good advice. And Robin, how does a parent's life experience influence their child's reaction to being bullied? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's, it's pretty good for me to talk about that from my personal experience. So I'm bullied, I can't go to my parents for help. So I don't actually um, develop the skills to work with bullying. So if someone then picks on one of my children, in my view, picks on, you know, so I've interpreted that my children are being um, harmed by someone, that I might just want to go in and bat for them. You know, I want to do all the things that my parents didn't do. I want to go in and go, you can't talk to my child like that. How dare (laughs) you? You've got to control your child. Yes. How helpful is that going to be? No. No. So I have to then learn the skills myself about how to see that situation as two people having trouble with each other rather than people against my child because otherwise I'm bringing in my poorer life experience into that scenario and actually pouring petrol on the fire. And then you're teaching your children that other people do it to you, you know, and so therefore you can interpret meaningful relationships as being damaging. So who I am as a mother certainly comes into play. And on the other hand, you might be someone that sees everything um, as love and your children are really wounded and you're not hearing them because you're thinking, oh, no, they're just another loving child and you're okay. So you have to have this balance, don't you? And who you are certainly influences your children's lived experience as well. So it is it's such a process of learning. That's why I love being a grandma because I've been through all that. I've healed a lot of things. But <laughs> even now when I'm helping my six grandchildren with something emotionally, I'm relearning something that I didn't learn. It's amazing. Yeah, no. It changes you. Do yeah. you agree, David? Oh, I, I do agree. You know, absolutely. Well, I'm not a, a grandparent yet, as we discussed off here before, but uh... – you do. I mean, the older you get, I think the wiser you become too. And, you know, it's that old saying about having a, a wise head on a young body or something. I mean, yes. I mean it's not, not going to happen. And we'd all like to change some things, I think, with our, about our parenting. But uh, it, it does get back to love. And that's what you've mentioned a couple of times. And as long as there's plenty of love in the family, that's so important. Yes. And that everyone knows that they're precious. They're absolutely precious and a, a permanent, important part of the family. And I think if love underpins all our reactions and all our intentions, um, then we're on the right track. Yes, couldn't agree more, Robin. Now, unfortunately, we're almost out of time with this podcast, but uh, perhaps you could just uh, recap some of the main points that we've uh, talked about. Certainly. So for me, it begins as as young as um, three. Well, actually, it begins from birth when you're having eye contact with your child and you're developing that 
um, loving relationship with them. But when they start to speak and they make mistakes and they're mirroring you, to make sure that the words, I don't think we even covered this, that the words that are coming out of your mouth are words that you want to hear later on out of their mouth. So um, they're mirroring, they're listening, they're copying everything that you do. Building a relationship where you can um, have your child come and tell you that they've done something um, wrong and be understanding, forgiving and educating, as Rosina would say, empathy and education. So building that relationship at each different stage of life and building in the strategies for resilience when things go wrong. If you underpin it all with love and you have looked at your own personal issues, then your children have a really good chance of being able to be resilient in the face of bullying. Fantastic. No, that's uh, that's uh, well said. Uh, look, it's been great, uh, Robin. Uh, next podcast, we're talking about grandparents, and you're certainly an expert in that area, so I can't <laughs> wait for that one. Thank you uh, very much, David. I've enjoyed it. Okay, talk soon. Thank you. Bye.